Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Tuesday, May 3rd, 2022. I am John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. Associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. And star of every podcast known to man uh, as he promotes his new book, The Right, The Hundred Year War for American Conservatism. Uh, and commentaries, Washington commentary columnist, Matthew Cottonetti. Hi, Matt. Hi, John. We got to make this quick because I have six more podcasts to do today. Yes, it is amazing. 20 years ago, it was all about the radio interviews, and now it's yeah. all about the podcast interviews. You can get Matt's book. Uh, we have uh, an essay reflecting themes on the book called Is There a Right Left in the uh, May issue of Commentary? And we have a symposium dedicated to the book in the issue we're closing uh, this week, uh, the June issue, and that will be available next week. So that's The Right by Matthew Continetti, the must-read political book of the year. Matt, uh, we you are joining us. <clears throat> uh, there may have been two dates, two days in the last 20 years that are as epical as today or last night or today is. One I think was 9/11. The other was the more the two o'clock in the morning when uh, Donald Trump basically it was clear was going to be president of the United States, and the leak of the prospective Supreme Court opinion in the Dobbs uh, Mississippi abortion case that um, if the draft remains pretty much consistent with what is found with with what comes out in the final rendering um, is a complete and total and unrestricted overturning of Roe v. Wade and its and its um, descendants, primarily Casey versus Planned Parenthood, which which was a decision that came out 19 years after Roe. Um, So, Matt, Let's survey the landscape uh, because um, this is a 50 year, it's literally, we are 49 years since the Roe decision. Uh, we kind of forget this because things have been quieter in some ways on this front, even though there's been a lot of state action over the last four or five years. But this is the central social issue of our time. I'm 61 years old. Uh, the right to abortion has been a has been maybe the only consistent remaining issue that is as that has remained as central to the American political conversation. Soviet Union was gone. Crime, you know, kind of disappeared for twenty years. I just I can't think of anything that has been more present as a as a significant issue in American life than this. And this is the earthquake. This is the change, if, if, it, if it indeed holds. Sure. Well, let's start with what we know. Uh, we know that in February, there were five votes to overturn Roe v. Wade. If that holds, we know that when this decision is finalized and released, abortion will be illegal in 13 states, but it will be protected. Instantly. Instantly. In- instantly. It will be protected as a right, however, in 17 states and the District of Columbia. And the other states will then have abortion placed in the democratic process, which is where it was for most of American history 
as Justice Alito says in this draft opinion, for 185 years, uh, it was up to the states to decide abortion policy. And the court overruled that and reversed it um, almost 50 years ago with Roe. We know that um, the political backlash was always going to happen, and it's already started. Um, and in some ways, I'm not sure whether that works to the Democrats' advantage or not. Um, because, uh, you know, I was one of many conservatives who thought that the Texas law uh, passed last fall um, that was uh, similar to the um, uh, law in question here, the Dobbs law, the heartbeat law, uh, might have given the Democrats um, a weapon to use in the uh, off-year elections in uh, Virginia, New Jersey. Um, that didn't happen. There was no backlash. Abortion has basically been illegal in Texas since September. And the Republican governor, Greg Abbott, is running away with the race. Um, so while the instant reaction from the media and the Democrats is furious and hysterical, I actually wonder whether it too might not peter out um, if this decision holds. Uh, and of course, that's what we don't know. We, I, I we wanna... don't know if the decision will hold. So uh, we're, we're already sort of heading into the politics, right? Sure. I think there are three different topics here. There's a, what is the immediate political effect on the midterms and what might be the longer term effect on, you know, American politics in the, in the 2020s. That's one. The second issue is the validity or the reasoning of the draft decision uh, which we should discuss. And then the third is the leak and what the leak means and portends. Um, so let's try, since we started with the politics, let's keep going there, but let's, let's try to keep these strands separate so that we can, you know, uh, sort of get, get into each without getting muddied. So your, your point here is that, uh, the possible, the, the, um, the precursor to what's happened now did not occasion a backlash in the state of Texas, thus possibly portending the huge change, the, the thing that the dog that might not bark, which is that in places where these laws are passing, the theory of American democracy would be that, yes, there won't be a huge backlash because the state legislatures and the governor State legislature should pass the governor sign into law something that you can then presume in those states, in Mississippi, in Texas, in other places, reflects predominant public opinion in those states. And that in the states where there is going to be absolute political mayhem, hysteria, rallies, screaming, you know, everything, in many of those states, the state constitutions feature an unlimited right to abortion. And therefore, in fact, the rights of those people who are demonstrating are not, are not changing. Nothing will change. <laughs> Nothing will change. So except, except in the states that haven't decided yet. But that's right. the whole point of democracy. As you say, right. that's the theory of democracy. Now they'll have the opportunity mm -hmm. to decide for themselves where well, to draw the line. 
that's what was happening pre-Roe. We saw this, you could watch it play out state by state as state legislatures took up abortion rights. We know that, you know, Roe actually disrupted that process in, in a sense and led to a backlash among uh, anti-abortion protesters. But there's also something else here. There's two other political points. One is that Gallup polling has remained consistent year over year over year, decade over decade since Roe, that people tend to want very few restrictions on first trimester procedures, some on second trimester, and quite a lot or a ban on third trimester procedures. That's just been a consistent thing. The other point, though, is that for, for, from a political standpoint, I agree with you, Matt. I don't think Democrats are going to get a lot out of this. You know why? Because they're already at peak saturation for the most galvanized voters about this issue, and that's college-educated women. They've already got them. They're not going to gain new converts because they've already got those people who single-issue vote. They're already on the D side. You're just not going to get a lot of other folks doing that. And a lot of the people who, they, who, who Republicans are currently leeching away from the Democratic Party are not exactly pro-abortion rights. We have in this country, we, are, we have some, in some of these states, we have some of the most liberal abortion um, rights compared to, say, Europe. And people don't always get that perspective because they look at Mississippi or Texas and they say, oh, no one has any rights there. We have extremes in this country in terms of abortion rights. But the but the states that allow it allow for far more liberal uh, access to abortion than a lot of other first world countries. Just OK, about. I will give you I will give you from 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 a text from a friend of mine, a, 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 a pro abortion friend of mine, um, the following. Uh, what she told her daughter. She says, I told my daughter that rich girls in New York City won't suffer, poor women in red states will. So this is, I think, this is a very important, uh, you know, very quick summary of what the idea is going to be, which is that damn, you know, uh, majoritarianism, uh, this should be a right because people suffer. They don't want to have these babies. They should have the right not to have these babies. And that's why Roe is good. Roe is good because it provided an unlimited right to an abortion. And that meant that, you know, people in Texas can't deny someone in Texas, or, you know, an abortion um, or make them travel across the border somewhere in order to get an abortion. The second point that is made by, by, by my friend and others is that this is going to restore uh, the world of the coat hanger back alley illegal abortion. Uh, that, you know, because people won't be able to get where they need to go to get an abortion, uh, there'll be illegal abortions and then people are going to die from coat hangers. Um, of course, you know, you can get on Spirit Airlines for $159 and fly anywhere. So that argument is somewhat problematic. Uh, you know, it's not like, oh, my God, you have to get on a bus, you know, on a Greyhound bus and go, you know, or you can get on a Greyhound bus and go somewhere. Um, the point is that for those who believe in this and, and are just doing it because they have, uh, you know, it's like they're, I don't know what you call it, they're, uh, you know, they're sort of their, their flashlight issue. Um, uh, the major, the majoritarianism is part of the evil, um, because it, it, yeah, sure. People in Texas don't, uh, you know, a majority of people in Texas don't want, somebody to get an abortion in Waco. Uh, they shouldn't be allowed to do that. John, I think there's a, I think, I mean, that's the, what you describe as the sort of more reasoned response uh, to this, believe it or not, on, on uh, I think there's a, there's an additional liberal response here that's 
larger in some sense. And it's the scary one that, that we'll be hearing, which is that this is a harbinger. This there's there's going to be more restrictions coming our way. This is what the right wants. Uh, you have no idea how far back they want to take this country. This is just the beginning. If we don't swing into action now, you can forget about it. See, that's fascinating because, Matt, abortion is the issue to end all issues. That's what I'm saying. It's it's a 50 year issue that has remained consistently at the top of the American political conversation for half a century where other issues have come and gone. Well, hang on, I'm going to interrupt here briefly, okay. because the reason why, and, and Abe's right, you're seeing that in part because of the tortured rationale, the tortured constitutional rationale that justified abortion, the, the road decision in the first place, because it emanates from rights within the 14th Amendment, right. and but the 5th Amendment, can, and the 9th Amendment, all on. those amendments, which Wait, then put Noah, into play. Noah, Noah, I don't want to go there yet. I don't want to go into the constitution. Well, then let's do the yet. politics of it because I, am. I think you're all so wrong. What I was... <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, good. Allow me to allow me to interject no. that on the politics no, good. side of it, and then we'll get right. to the legal rationale side yeah. of it because Democrats are quite obviously salivating over the opportunity to avoid talking about all the issues that predominate American minds, and Republicans may oblige. They really might, which would be a disaster for them. The media and the and Democrats, the distinctions being rather blurred between the two um will do their best to make this a referendum on abortion rights and republicans are going to be very tempted to play to their base and have todd aiken moments all over the place so a uh, democratic strategist liz smith highlighted one last night from uh, not a particularly relevant figure but nevertheless one who's who's got some prominence within the conservative firmament firmament mike huckabee um who told sean hannity the other night last night that there should be no no of uh, uh, abortion, an illegality across the board from the federal government and conservatives should do that, which would uh, upend all their jurisprudential philosophy because they, you know, a, a principal conservative doesn't believe there's that Congress has any right to do that, that the purview should be limited to the states. But Republicans are going to be confronted day in and day out with this question. Should there be restrictions on abortion? Um, should it be a state's right issue? Should there be exemptions for rape and incest? They're going to be asked about this consistently. And if they don't have a consistent message on it, you will find one or two who will step on a landmine and they will be made into a totem, into something that's indicative of how the whole party thinks. And that could be a real trap for the GOP. I, I agree with you. Of course, the reverse is true also. The reverse is true when you get to the clump of tissue argument that liberals have, have an inclination themselves, if not that they are asked the same kinds of really hard questions on this, to say things that are um, uh, revolting to most people. As Christine says, the polling shows that people are incredibly uncomfortable with third trimester abortions. I mean, overwhelmingly uncomfortable. And that's one of the reasons why uh, uh, the the change in the anti-abortion movement after the Casey decision in 1992 to go for restrictions rather than the outright removal of all abortions was a very, very successful middle of the road strategy because it played to the political realities of the moment. You are right that these are incredibly difficult questions to answer and that, and that Republicans have had a history or some Republicans have had a history of answering them in quite repulsive ways 
uh, and and all you know that 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 raise questions about their own you know understanding of the difficulties that are posed by this incredibly difficult issue. But Democrats do too, and I'm telling you the, that's why I mentioned the clump of tissue. I can't even remember who called it a clump of tissue, but you know somebody called somebody called a nine a nine month you know a, a, a partial birth abortion a clump of tissue was it i just don't see how <clears throat> i just don't see how democrats are going to be doing anything but go on offense here this is well, a conservative what... legal victory and a conservative legal victory will have to be defended by the victors well it depends on the candidate depends on the race i mean you have candidates in on the d side in pennsylvania for example who are um, both Connor Lamb and Fetterman, the, the front runner, have made it clear that they support abortion at any stage of pregnancy, including the final weeks, final days coming to term. That is an extremist position. It's just as extremist as Mike Huckabee is saying there should be no exceptions whatsoever. If the if it, it depends on what terrain you're fighting the battle. If you're talking about the late term, I think the advantage goes to the pro-life forces. If you're talking about early term, then I think the Democrats may have more of an edge. And look, there are bad candidates while Roe was still in, in effect, which, by the way, it is today. That's why I kind of started off by saying, here's what we know. We know that in February, there were five votes to overturn it. They could still, it, it, could, we don't, it gets to the third thing, which we're not going to talk about yet, the leak. But we, we don't know what the actual situation is in the Supreme Court. And I would say that in the first 24, not even 24 hours, the first 12 hours of this, the court has not necessarily handled it very well. Um, but my, my point being, there's always bad candidates. There will likely be bad candidates on both sides in, in this cycle. And yeah, I think Noah's right that in a, in, a, in a situation where Republicans need to hold the seats where they're retiring, right, and gain one more to gain control of the Senate, then yeah, every single race counts and a bad candidate may make the difference. Um, but they would just be as likely to do that in a, in a situation where Roe was still the law of the land. Okay, let me propose this, Noah, and just see how you react to this. Aiken Murdoch, the real the candidates that really sort of destroyed themselves by talking, you know, so as I say, kind of repul repulsively in some ways about from a pro-life perspective, which after all, unless you are really a rigorous a person who does not believe that, you know, a, a baby is a baby, you know, until it can you know, walk on its own and feed itself um, like that. You know, there is a there is a, a, a moral righteousness to the anti-abortion position. It is a defense of life uh, of the of the unborn of the as yet born um, that uh, gives them some moral power that the I should be willing to do whatever I want to with my own body, no matter what I did to cause this to happen is a little less attractive, right? So, but they're given an, Noah, you're, you're, so you look like you're confused by what um, I meant. What yeah, I meant yeah, is I'm just, that, I'm not following the question. Okay. So I'm saying that pro-lifers have a certain moral strength to their argument that these guys punted by being gross about abortion and sex and stuff like that. And the pro-choice side has a moral gap because what they are saying is, uh, I, I should just be allowed to do whatever I want to do. I don't care about this thing in my body. I don't care. And that makes people uncomfortable. Okay? So in some sense, when you're talking about the moral 
argument. Pro-lifers have always had a slight, you know, 2% house advantage, like in, like, like in Vegas. Um, because everybody does think the government should keep their hands off my body. So that's actually, but it's not an elevating position. It's not, I'm defending life. I'm defending the unborn. I'm defending the most defenseless. I'm speaking out on behalf of, you know, ideas about ensoulment and soulhood that, you know, have been part of, you know, proper civilization forever. Republicans may be spared by the fact that something real has happened because all those conversations, everything Murdoch said, Aiken said, this was all, they were, it was in the form of kind of, let me just go off, uh, let me just uh, start uh, uh, spitballing here for a minute. You know, you say rape, uh, rape for, you know, uh, you know, it's not, they, we, women have a way of stopping that from, right? That was, that was Todd Aiken. Women have a way of stopping that. <laughs> from happening what what they have now there is now a practical thing happening right if it happens there's a decision there will be practical decisions to be made including if you're in a state where there's rape and incest all, all but, of that. but that's a legislative issue you just but they're the not going to spitball no but the spitballing is no longer the game the oh, spitballing I... isn't we're talking about this in the theoretical way because nothing's actually happening to ban abortion or not ban abortion. So here are some things to think about. About Exactly. I don't think they can help themselves um, because in part because of genuine moral conviction and the, and the assumption that the presumption that they're right in a karmic sense will <clears throat> stop, will not, will lead Republican office seekers to, you know, talk about their own personal views, which are entirely and utterly, utterly irrelevant. The, the completely unsatisfying but principled response uh, from a conservative perspective to this issue is that my personal views, especially if you're running for a federal office, are utterly irrelevant because Congress has no jurisdiction here. Congress cannot, should not, um, and, and if you are conservative, principled conservative, legal conservative, has no, uh, no authority to do so, to regulate abortion in any way, shape, or form. It is not Congress it, or, or commerce. It is not, uh, it has nothing to do with interstate uh, relations. It's not spending, it's not levying taxes. It's not creating a militia. It has, it's not in the constitution. So my views are irrelevant. That would sort of sidestep the issue, I think, but it doesn't satisfy anybody on any side of the issue. And it, it would leave you open to attack. Ah, he's, you know, he's not telling you what he actually believes the democratic candidate says, because he's a crypto, you know, he wants to make this legal in the federal legislature and just isn't gonna tell you yet. And that's actually going to be a very satisfying response because all of these justices who are ruling this way said the same thing, deferred to, to precedent. Right. Well, not okay. Alito, not Alito. Not right. It was a very uh, interesting yeah. thing that was pointed out. That, and that, and uh, uh, Amy Roberts, it was an interesting item I noticed in, in the journalism this morning, which was in Roberts' confirmation hearing back in 05, he talked about stare decisis. And Alito, very interestingly, in his confirmation, his uh, hearing noted that there were some instances, instances where the Supreme Court would overrule precedent. And of course, he is the author of this opinion. And um, there was an appendix in this opinion. It's listing amazing. All <laughs> of the times that the Supreme Court has decided that stare decisis had to had to take second place to constitutional writ. And now maybe this is a way that we can transition into the, the legal decision. So no, none of us is the lawyer. Uh, I, a lot of us have spent our careers reading these decisions and thinking a lot about this issue. Um, Alito does 
something very interesting in this decision, uh, which is very important and w- which is not satisfying to a certain element of the, of the pro-life cause. The pro-life cause at its most, at its deepest level, wanted the Supreme Court to find that the unborn have a right to life. That is not in the decision. There is nothing about ensoulment, about the, about the life of the unborn child, nothing. It is not there. There's a lot of questions raised about certain medical ideas that were, produ- that were present in Harry Blackman's Roe v. Wade opinion that Alito wants to bat away. This is about Roe as a constitutional horror. That is the focus of the decision, that the decision found a right in the Constitution and did not even bother to say where the right originates in the Constitution. Didn't say it was in the Seventh Amendment or in the 22nd Amendment or in the First or in the Third or in the Eighth or in the 14th. And we can get to that because that gets to an interesting criticism of Roe by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It says you have a right to privacy because that was the hot topic among liberal jurisprudential people in the late 60s, early 70s, right to privacy. People have a right to privacy. Government can't look into your bedroom. And you got to leave it to the doctors. Doctors know doctors. Doctors, they know everything. Give the doctors the legal right to decide who who should have an abortion. You know, whatever. Okay. So basically, this decision says... This decision should not be taken to be a rep- should not be taken as as Abe says uh, Abe said like should not be taken as precedent to overturn anything else. It's not about anything else. Meaning, it's not about Overfell. It's not about gay marriage. It's not about anything else. This is about this one decision, Roe v. Wade, which is a constitutional horror. And you know what? It is a constitutional horror. And every serious person on the planet Earth who knows the knows it. Everybody knows it. Honest liberal scholar, constitutional scholars acknowledge it. They acknowledge that saying that the Constitution has a penumbra and emanation that gives women the right to extinguish the life or potential life or whatever in their bodies at will does not appear anywhere in the Constitution. Well, and this is where uh, good liberal jurists like Ruth, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg gave many lectures over the course of her tenure on the bench where she talked about how it, this right was, you know, she didn't like Roe. She didn't like it as a matter of constitutional law, in part because she thought abortion should have uh, should be available to women as as uh, part of the equal protection clause, this idea that it, it, it was a gender equality issue that women were, would be forced to carry a pregnancy to term against their will. So, you know, this is something that, by the way, towards the end of her life, as the Democratic Party became more and more progressive, feminists were suspicious of her at first when she was nominated by Clinton for this reason. They weren't sure she was going to be strong on abortion rights. But later, as the Democratic Party moved leftward and younger activists in particular became more radical in terms of how they described abortion rights, she was that bit of her uh, jurisprudence and her conversation about abortion were often memory hold in in discussions of her right this is very important yeah go ahead sorry well and she thought rightly that because rose a constitutional horror it left uh uh supporters of abortion to open to to an attack to to, in, in sort of just this way because because it doesn't 
sort of, you know, show you where this right is. And it could be too easily attacked. I mean, what what she said was if they had located the right to abortion in the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause, that the right then attached to the woman and not to the doctor, which is effectively what Roe v. Wade says, ask your doctor. Ask your doctor whether to prescribe the morning after pill. I mean, that is essentially what, don't worry, the Constitution should say that you have a right to an abortion, therefore it does. We don't really know where, but we know that penumbras and emanations that exude from the document have given us this power. And we, we don't have, so that is the, so what Alito does here, again, if this is where it's going, and we don't know because it's a three-month-old document. It's the first draft of the putative majority opinion. It could go 72,000 different ways. Thomas could, you know, if, you know, Thomas could, I guess you don't have to edit a document because you can write your own concurrence. It reads like a, a final draft, which yeah, is and, interesting. And it's a first five... draft that reads like a final. I mean, it's really well written. It, yeah. <laughs> it, it, there's very little. But, uh, Thomas, I think we disagree and, and which here. Which of the five are going, to, are going to change their minds? No, no, I'm not talking about changing. I'm talking about that the the logic of the decision. Yeah. Some of the lot. Some of the some of the ways in which it is approached could change. Things could be deleted. Other points could be stressed differently. There are, you know, this is the, the report in Politico by Josh Gerstein, and there's some, another, I don't remember who the other byline is. It's really a brilliant piece of reporting because they find, they locate places in the decision where it's clear that Alito has been, has taken in certain of the criticisms and phrases and things that were going on in the oral arguments uh, Amy Coney Barrett stressing one thing, Kavanaugh stressing another thing, Thomas stressing a third thing that that appear in the text um, and therefore suggest that there were it's extensive conversations about what points you wanted to hit uh, in this opinion. Um, can, can I add something to uh, just about precedent? Because it's not just Roe that uh, this decision would overturn. It's also the Casey decision from right. 1992. And I think Alito makes a great point in the introduction of the decision where he says Roe was such a mess that even it was partially overturned by Casey in 1992, which if you read the Casey decision, two things are really notable about one is it throws out the trimester scheme that Blackman basically created in, in Roe v. Wade to say, well, it's illegal in the first trimester. I'm going to leave it up to the states in the second. I'm sorry, it's, it's legal in the first trimester. I'll leave it up to the states in the second, and it's illegal in the third. When, by the time you get to Casey, they kind of, um, kind of uh, throw away that scheme, and they put in a new scheme of the undue burden, right? So you can regulate it up until it becomes an undue burden on, on the mother. And Alito takes great pains in the decision to say that that scheme doesn't work. It will fall apart as it, I mean, I think as the Mississippi law was designed to, to do, to, to show that the undue burden um, test just doesn't hold up when you actually get to um, uh, get to the details and get to uh, laws like the Mississippi law. And of course, the second notable thing about the Casey decision in 1992 was um, Justice Kennedy's mystery passage, yes. which has become kind of, in a way, the great statement of 
progressivism in in American well, social and cultural what, life. What that what it is? Well, what, Kennedy, who was um, affirming the the Roe decision as part of the Casey holding in 1992, said, you know, at the center of life, at the, at the center of human existence is the ability to, for each individual to determine what the mystery of life means to them, and so we need to grant this huge sphere of autonomy for people to to make their own decisions and um, find, chart their own course. And it is for, for social conservatives, that passage has always been emblematic of a moral relativism that's on the progressive left that the, the, the pro-life movement is, you know, spent 50 years fighting against because the pro-life movement has a very uh, clear view of the morality at issue. Um, and so the mystery passage now will be kind of also, if this holding, if this, decision holds in uh, Dobbs, the mystery passage also will kind of go the way of the dodo. Right. What's, what's uh, the other thing to mention about Casey is uh, Casey is one of the two cases that we know of in which the justice, in which there was in the course of the negotiations over the decision, a justice switch, hugely controversial cases. Kennedy was originally a vote to overturn Roe in Casey and he was seduced into changing his mind. Uh, we don't know how, we don't know why, we don't know what the circumstances were. The stare decisis argument, that is, it's settled law, you know, time has made it law, which is what stare decisis is. Roe was only 19 years old when Casey was decided. It's very hard to say that something is stare decisis when it hasn't even lasted a generation. It's much, much, much more significant that abortion's been the condition of abortion has been this for 50 years that is a serious uh that is a serious confrontation with with story with the with the principle that time and tide uh harden things into place and make them new make them things that are should be harder for you know uh justices to just wave their hands and overturn so but kennedy switched his and then wrote this preposterous passage. And then, of course, Roberts was a vote to declare Obamacare unconstitutional in 2012 and flipped uh, and wrote maybe, except for as far as I'm concerned, I mean, except uh, the really egregiously immoral decisions like Dred Scott and Plessy and stuff like that. I mean, the most disingenuous decision ever uh in the in the obamacare case where he said it was a tax on page 12 and he said it wasn't a tax on page 35 um like an astonishing act of um of, of dishonesty we don't know i mean i you're looking at you're saying that one of these five isn't going to flip and it certainly doesn't look that way the five are of course alito kavanaugh barrett thomas and who am i <laughs> who am i missing gorsuch Gorsuch. Okay. I mean, these are all resolute people uh, who came up, uh, you know, who, who, who aren't, uh, you know, who don't trim their sails. So it's very hard to imagine that they would, that they would flip. But I suppose the, the extant logic of the ruling could, could change. I don't think it will. And this is the gift that Alito may be giving politically. That's sort of what I was trying to allude to, though it's hard for me to say it, by saying, I'm not talking about whether abortion is good or bad. I'm not talking about whether abortion stops a beating, you know, or, you know, I'm not talking about the moral frame of abortion. 
That is not what we're doing here. What we're doing here is saying the Supreme Court in doing what it did in Roe v. Wade interrupted and interfered with the proper workings of the function of representative government, caused a 50-year crisis, uh, political ongoing political crisis, as a result of its intrusion, and did so in a patently unconstitutional, egregiously, I think is the word he uses, unconstitutional fashion. So do whatever you want with abortion, America. Ban it in some states, make it, put it in the Constitution and others, have a war at the state level in Texas if you think you can overturn it in Texas, overturn the fetal heartbeat law. Whatever you want to do, whatever you have to do where you want to do it. We're out of it. This is a matter between, this is a matter for you, the American people, as you are represented by your, uh, your elect, the elect, the people you elect to make laws. Well, and and from like a hundred year perspective, it's restarting the watch that had already been ticking before Roe. Roe stopped that watch for 50 years. That decision was, came down the year I was born. My entire lifetime has been this, this combative political debate about abortion. But before that, it would, that was going, that's exactly what was going on. And one can argue if you're strict constructionist, that's how the system was meant to uh, do this. We do this for a lot of other difficult issues too. State by state, people figure this out. So that's actually, I, I mean, the long-term perspective here is something that I think certainly the activist class on both sides are not uh, understanding because the, the pro-life people are not going to get what they want out of this either if it does, you know, if if there are states that, that have extremely uh, liberal abortion rights laws. So that they're not going to get what they ultimately wanted, which is, which is a ban on abortion. So both sides don't get something, which in our system is kind of a win, I think. <laughs> Can I talk about the federal uh, yeah. state distinction? Because, um, you know, this will be an issue that will be kicked up to the federal government um, as most important issues are. And um, we already see in President Biden's statement this morning that he is calling on um, the House and the Senate. The House has already actually written Roe into the law, um, but uh, the Senate it hasn't taken any action. It will be very hard to uh, without nuking the filibuster. So you're already seeing uh, demands by progressives renewing their calls to uh, junk the filibuster, unlikely to happen. However, I do think that we know uh, that there could be some action on uh, the federal level on abortion restriction, in particular, the um, bans on late-term abortions and the partial birth abortion bans, which were so controversial during the 90s and the first decade of the uh, of the 21st century, uh, where Congress passed it, and the court, in uh, in several instances, uh, would knock knock them down. Right, so there might actually be a working majority for some restrictions on late-term abortion um, that will now be allowed because if this if the decision holds, this issue will be returned to the political process where it belongs. And Susan Collins, the- by the way, Susan Collins, a Republican senator who does support abortion rights, is getting absolutely slammed now. Everyone's saying, oh, they lied to you. Gorsuch and Kavanaugh lied right. to you. You know, how terrible. How could you believe them? But there are I mean, she she is actually a Republican who supports the codification of Roe uh, in the same way that the House has done. So it's not as if the, this is this is still something that the, the Senate was trying to to get together, but you're right. The, the ultimate goal is to nuke the filibuster. And there were protesters saying pack the courts last night okay. too outside the Supreme So court. this is, this is, could I just say, this is the dumbest single approach on an issue that I've ever heard of? Because if they were to nuke the filibuster, 
right now, right? If they were to nuke the filibuster, if Manchin magically decided that he was going to vote for it, though Manchin is himself pro-life, so I don't see why he would nuke yeah. the filibuster in order to pass a federalized row um, or a nationalized row. Um, but if they were to nuke the filibuster and then Republicans win in November, then Republicans overturn the law using the nuked filibuster to allow them to overturn the law. Like, this is not how you do it. Like, think through what you are talking about. If this is Harry Reid on steroids. This is Harry Reid saying, I'm just going to nuke the filibuster a little bit so I can get some judges onto the court. And Mitch McConnell saying, whoa, don't you go there, buddy. You are, we are going to make you regret doing this. I wouldn't do it because I believe in, but if you're going to do it, don't think we're not going to take advantage of it. You think if Democrats do this in order to pass some stuff between now and November that Biden can sign, that Republicans who are almost certainly going to get, particularly if that happens, are going to get control of both the House and Senate, that they're not just going to do that and then for good measure, yeah, pass an anti-Roe law, you know, I mean, I don't know what, I mean, it, this is, and this is where the politics are, are, are really, really interesting. Noah, you, 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 you asked one of the first questions you asked last night was, or Christine too, how much of this is about the midterms, like the leak, how much of it is about the midterms? My presumption was this isn't about the midterms at all, but clearly Democrat by the Biden statement, as I think you said this morning, the Biden statement is like, oh yeah, it's about the midterms. Because Biden says you have to vote for Democrats in order to save the America from this evil totalitarianism that involves just making sure that, you know, not too, you know, that not too many babies are aborted. Long before this decision, we, we had this leak of this decision. There's plenty of <clears throat> wish casting <clears throat> in the press that a decision along these lines would overturn the political dynamics that presently do not favor Democrats. And we've seen, you know, no shortage of that commentary from the press today that uh, the decision will jolt, rewire, upend the midterm dynamic. It's all wishful thinking because primarily what dominates American minds right now is economic instability, inflation, crime, um, you know, to a lesser extent, immigration. Those are, uh, you know, much more concrete material concerns and sort of a hypothetical, especially a social hypothetical, isn't going to overturn that dynamic. My, my question is whether or not conservatives who have engineered this legal victory over the course of a half century will take the win because there's always the temptation to see that other hill off in the distance as we talked about this before especially when it comes to institutions and uh, their their habit of, of not staying in their lane and allowing their aims to sprawl especially when they get what they want that there will be a temptation to um preserve a sense, for example, on the particularly on the activist right, a, 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 a sense of grievance, a sense of victimization, and uh, the idea that they are beset on all sides by the culture that is that is arrayed against them. That's a powerful motivating force. And you can't allow it to dissipate by being victorious in your in your crusades. That's that doesn't energize anybody. Alternatively, you're, there's going to be a temptation on the part of some of these candidates who are going to be pressed every day on the hour to talk about what they want to do to abortion, to talk about abortion. Don't talk about abortion. Don't give Democrats the opportunity 
to posture and 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 and, dem- and demonstrate their grievance, their victimization. That's a powerful unifying force. Democrats are not wrong that this could energize a lot of the voters who they need to turn out. It won't win new voters, but it'll energize the ones who are presently very unenthusiastic to turn, turn out and vote for Democrats. And Republicans can only make that easier for them. Hey, I, I don't think it's entirely about um, Republicans preserving a sense of victimization. There's also, I think, going to be the irresistible urge to troll liberals on this and uh, overstep uh, sort of in their triumphalism. Well, I think that's Noah's point, right? Is take the, if you take the win, one of the ways, well, no, but one of the ways you take a win is by being, not you have to be magnanimous, but you take the win by being confident, by being like, I I just won. I won. Like, you know, I mean, you can win and then go, yeah, 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 for like two, for like three months. But you could also like say, okay, let's move on. We, we just, we just, we just won this. And now we're going to have fights at the state level and we're going to have this and that. We're going to, we're going to, I mean, if this is the decision that comes out, it's not going to come out in June, right? The the, the assumption is it comes out. All bets, all bets are off now. Either way, it comes out. We have no idea what's happening. Well, that's why we should, we should talk about the leak. leak. Yeah, because we have 15 minutes left. So let's briefly either way, though, it's not going to it's the the shock of it will dissipate by November. I don't know. The shock will not dissipate by November, particularly if it is actually the case that suddenly in 13 states, abortion is illegal and every abortion provider closes up shop and they have, you know, film footage of them crying. And right. Those are crimson red over... states. Those are crimson red states that it, where, where it's right. going to be illegal. But and so all the, the okay. political activists on both Just sides like in will... the indigo blue states, it's going to be completely protected. And, and so there will be no change. And well, everyone will that... obsess over the social covenants in places they don't live. Right. Well, that's, that's, <laughs> right. that's <laughs> which we do right. already. Right. OK, so <laughs> let's talk about the leak. Christine. Um, okay, so th- th- there have been a couple of uh, th- people who've noted this isn't the first leak. Yes, yes, we know that there have been other leaks. It the is Burger- the first leak. No, no, no. It, no, let me get to it. There, okay. it's there have been other leaks about maybe on background what's happening. There have been there was a leak with a big leak when Roberts, you know, around the Obamacare case. But this is the first time, as far as we know, that an entire opinion, a draft opinion, has been released in full in a leak. So this is unprecedented, and it's absolutely insane that people are trying to sort of set that aside says, oh, you know, they leak, they leak to reporters. It's fine. And let's let's really talk about the issue of abortion. Like, no, we need to also talk about the the issue of this leak. So it could be one of two things. The most uh, the 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 what Occam's razor, the most likely uh, thing is that a left leaning clerk who works for one of the liberal justices wanted to get that out there. But it could just as possibly be someone who worked for one of the conservative justices. It's we just don't know. They should absolutely investigate it. Anyone, whoever was found to have leaked this document should be fired. If they're trying to become a professional attorney in any way, shape or form, they should be banned from doing that. This is unprecedented attack on an institution that is one of the few that still has some public trust. Can I set the leak in context just um, for people who aren't close readers of the Wall Street Journal editorial page? Last week, the journal published a very interesting editorial talking about the pressure campaign directed at Justice Kavanaugh to switch his vote and to, to basically join Justice Roberts in upholding the Mississippi law while saying that it did not constitute, again, that Casey test, an undue burden on um, the mother. Well, now we have this leak. And now we know who voted in February to reverse Roe v. Wade. And Kavanaugh's on that list. 
And I do think it's interesting to, to put that leak in view of what was going on behind the scenes, all right? Because we know it's February. And now if, if we find out that Roberts is able to author the controlling opinion, which says, yes, Mississippi stands, and yes, Roe stands too, with an additional conservative justice, we will know who changed their vote. And that, in a way, is a deterrent against vote changing. Um, so that, I think, to me, says that, you know, the, both options that Christine laid out there, coming from the left or the right, are, are, equally, are equally plausible. That is a, the problem there. You have the Occam's razor problem, which is that that is a very complicated scheme that the person has come up with in order to make it impossible for Kavanaugh to switch his vote by leaking the document early so that people will know that he was, that he, that he was a coward or people will be mad at him. These people, they all have lifetime appointments and they could do whatever they want. I mean, that's the, that's of course the, not the joke of it, but um, uh, so I, I still think that the idea would be, uh, that you uh, try to create a crisis. You tr you're trying to create a populist revolt against the court, the likes of which no one has ever seen in an effort to scare the court in some fashion or other, right? Well, and, and to that point, Biden uh, instantly issued a statement which said nothing about the leak part of this and how that undermines the institution of the court. And Kamala Harris is going to go uh, zip over across town and speak to Emily's list today. So clearly they're they're seeing this as a political right. yeah, event. And Pelosi them. and Schumer jumped on it last oh, yeah. night, too. It does seem like the statement. Democrats were ready, if not eager, maybe even ready to <laughs> right. to get on get on the story. Right. Well, uh, by the way, uh, they'll find the leaker. We'll we'll know who the leaker is by Sunday, in my opinion. Like, you know, these people Good. are professional spies and somebody's, you know, they're going to get the FBI in, involved. Well, and if it's from the left, it, probably the leaker will be proud of it. Right. right. I mean, you'll have an Alexander Vindman situation where it's like, you know, I, you know, I ordered the code red. You know, I'm right. the one who leaked the well, document. Vindman, and... Except Vindman never admitted that he leaked the document. No. And it took us a, it took us a, the better part of a <laughs> year to figure out it was Miles Taylor. Yeah. Oh, right. I mean, it's right. Not, no, that no, Miles but, Taylor's anonymous. Right. OK. Right. Yeah. No, the but, leaker no, but, was, my, right. but my, my point is that Roberts is going to engage the FBI into doing and, you know, and there aren't that many clerks. OK. There just aren't that many clerks. There are nine justices. They each have, I don't know, five. There are 50 clerks, let's say, or 60 clerks. And there's only somebody's, one justice's Somebody's office, email really or text, you know, they're going to try to delete. They'll. We're going to know who the leaker is. I think this is this is like a, a lead pipe cinch. I don't know, we'll, John. We'll, are, are you underestimating our incompetency problem or incompetence no, no, problem not, here? No, not, not here. Not here. The, because you would have to be somebody who really knew how to hide a chain of custody thing where a document is literally attached or something is printed or you know or you you have an email you know someone emailed josh gerstein uh you know this could be like comey right right i mean it's like maybe it's not the clerk it's a friend of the clerk but they found the friend of comey right who got the paperwork <laughs> the, the columbia comey, professor the columbia right. professor yeah. right okay <laughs> they're gonna find out who this is so I think that that closes it. The question I think we want to answer quickly why this is so horrifying. And it's horrifying because the court is the only America is a very complicated one of the reasons we don't call it a we should not, don't properly call it a democracy but call it a republic. You know, we have three different 
branches of government and they operated under different rules. And one of the branches, you know, the legislative branch operates under two different rules itself. One is highly democratic, one person, one vote. One is not one person, one vote. That's the Senate, obviously, because you get two senators from every state, no matter what the population of the state is, thus waiting certain voters get more senators. So their vote counts more than, you know, a vote in Wyoming for Senate sort of counts more than a vote in New York State, for example, right? That's built into the Constitution. The president, everybody votes for. And the Supreme Court, nobody votes for. I mean, the Supreme Court, people vote for because they vote for representative who then advises and consents on the nomination. The, the fact that nobody votes for the Supreme Court is, and, and that the Supreme Court is not beholden to the will of the people, even though Mr. Dooley said the Supreme Court follows the election returns, is the key element of the court. There had to be one body that was not responsive to public opinion, one group of people not responsive to public opinion. This leak is an effort to make the court responsive to public opinion by scaring the shit out of the court, by making people demonstrate in front of the court. By have, and now I've remembered the point that I forgot, which does tie to this. If this is Black Lives Matter too, if this is three months of liberal rioting, liberal women rioting, let's say, over this, uh, I don't think that's going to, that, I think that's where the idea that this is great for the Democrats because it's going to unify them. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I, you know, obviously educated, college educated women aren't going to, you know, go looting a, you know, maybe they, maybe they want to go loot a Fendi, but they're not going to go loot a Fendi, but it would be something to see. <laughs> yeah. But what do you make of that as a prospect that the, that, that the, that the revolt that is being triggered by this will actually boomerang? And be another one of these 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 liberals. They they won't you know they don't know how to behave when it they're sort of upset. anticipates a, <clears throat> a some street action that's far more organic than I think we've seen so far, and I think it underestimates the potential that the backlash in the streets that you're envisioning will be far more muted than what they really hope to see. Democrats want to see unrest in the streets, but I'm saying they demonstrate shouldn't. demonstrate you know that. They're not out of the game just yet, but I don't. I don't think you're going to see that. Okay. I mean, with the with the exception of what we saw, Christine mentioned it. What we saw last night, this uh, a, a bunch of very normal Americans scurrying to the Supreme Court at 11:30 at night with signs already, you know, put together uh, demanding abortion rights. Um, that's what you you can expect to see. Astroturf. Uh, I don't think you're going to see an organic response of the kind that you envision to this. I'll it's tell not, you what you're going to see. It's not like racism. It's not like I'll racial violence. I'll tell you what you're going to see. This is fascinating. Uh, somebody on the right tweeted out last night, like, I don't want to, I wouldn't want to be working at the court right now. Like they must all be in fear for their lives. They're, they're going to need, you know, security because they're, they're, you know, they might get killed. And a young woman named Adria Chavez tweeted back. Good. Adria Chavez is the Washington correspondent for the nation. So this is, by the way, why I don't like Twitter, you know, like blocking, you know, crazy people or, you know, like extremists. You know, what she's done there is like advocate for the assassination of Supreme Court justice under the supposed Twitter rules that are, are, are now supposed to be lifted, I guess, when Musk takes over. She should be banned, right? She just called for violence against the Supreme Court. I want that there. 
I think it is important that people know that the Washington correspondent of America's oldest leftist journal is openly supporting violence against Supreme Court employees and and justices. And that's where I wonder, I don't think that's going to, you know, like trigger a massive 10 million vote shift toward Republicans, you know, because they go too far. But I mean, it does indicate the extreme emotion that is being generated by this among the elites. And what we just don't know is how how far down that's going to go. Yeah. My only thought on this is, you know, for the past two weeks, all we've been talking about are the stories related to the Jonathan Martin, Alex Burns book about uh, January 6th and Kevin McCarthy. And I feel for Jonathan, who's a friend of mine, and Alex, because, of course, Josh Gerstein just totally removed that book from the from the media spotlight. And now we're going to talk about uh, Roe and Alito and the backlash until we find something else to talk about. And there is just so much time before Election Day. I feel we'll be on to topic, you know, X, Y and Z uh, by, by by Election Day. I, really I, do. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying, like, I just think about how much of my life since I was 11 years old has been taken up by conversations about abortion. I mean, I'm in a very weird, I, I have very, very complicated and uncomfortable views about abortion. I don't know where I stand, which is one of the reasons I've had so many in my life. But there is no con- there is no subject other than maybe the you know with intensity the pandemic which has dominated almost every conversation one has had for the last two years and 9/11 which dominated every conversation one had for like three years but this is like 50 but years. that's like most Americans right <clears throat> we're very idiot you know it's rare for somebody who's ideologically consistent like you to not have you know very firm opinions on this but yeah. most Americans aren't ideological and they they're of mixed emotions on this and one thing they re- that's really underestimated i think because it, you know we talk about this on social media very politically active social media people who are unrepresentative abortion's icky people don't like to talk about well abortion. that's that's very important and that's where the backlash may come in that i'm talking about i'm not i'm not advocating for it and i don't know if it's true but yeah if democrats want to spend 6 months talking about nothing but abortion people don't like particularly by the way a lot of people who have availed themselves of it. They've used it. Their families, their families have used it. They don't need to revisit the subject. It's not a happy subject. Weirdly, I think liberals would be more animated to get out in the streets, maybe cause some real havoc. Um, if Donald Trump were still president, and what has just happened or what looks like it might happen, we're merely still a prospect for happening as opposed to they're now getting worked up over it actually happening, but Trump no longer being in office. Look, I think that's a very if, if Trump were president, Oof. really, it will would be Black Lives Matter, too, because because, yeah, the, the target, it's not clear what the target is. I mean, the, weirdly enough, the target isn't even the Republican Party here. Like you can say Alito's the Republican Party or Gorsuch is the that's fine. Go say whatever you want to say, but it's still not. And Noah, I think this is where you're absolutely right. To to focus on this as a Republican candidate for national office this year is stupid. The thing has already happened. The biggest thing has already happened. 
And particularly if you're in the House or the Senate, the action isn't going to be where you are, though it, though it might, whatever. You are going to have to talk about it. You are going to have to talk about it. You can't avoid it. If you debate. But if you talk about it in, le- in legal terms, very dispassionate, rational legal terms, it's not hard yes. to make the case against Roe. And it's not hard to make the moral case against abortion if that's if you're inclined to wade into that stream. I just think you're going to find more success and 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 lead Democrats into a box canyon, too, by talking about it in dispassionate legal terms and allowing Democrats to to, you know, sort of the talk about the ways in which abortion has become this like religious conviction on the right, where you have to celebrate your abortion. You have to write children's books about abortion on the left, not on the the left, rather. Yeah. You have, you know, you have to really, you know, wear it on your sleeve and make it into a virtue in ways that the public doesn't think it is a virtue. It's a necessary right. evil at best. Right. And allow them that, to, to walk into that minefield. Don't you go ahead and you know talk about putting aspirin in between your knees. Yeah. But. Yeah. Anyway, um, I just think. Uh, I, I, I sort of it's a little like the fall of the Berlin Wall. I, I mean, I. I, I thought in 1992, I thought Casey would be overturned. And when it wasn't overturned, which, by the way, was the originating event for a lot of the a lot of the you, you can say in some ways that a lot of the delegitimization chic on the right really began when Casey when Casey did not overturn Roe. It was two or three years after that that First Things magazine published the symposium in which they argued that the the American regime might be illegitimate because it had because it was it 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 was an abortion regime um that you know playing within the rules and you know trying to do this the way you're supposed to do it and go through the courts and get the supreme court finally to overturn this constitutionally egregious decision and then they didn't do it well you can't trust anybody nothing is going to work nothing works liberals control everything they're shutting down debate all of that a lot of those ideas had their origins or the power of them where where american conservative american patriotism got a real body blow uh was in part because of the casey decision a lot of religious conservatives for whom abortion is the was the single most important issue of their lives were devastated and they looked around and they said, and maybe this country isn't as good as I think it is. Maybe there is a, maybe this country is in a moral crisis and that the elites are, you know, the elites are part are contributing to the moral crisis. Very significant thing. 30 years ago, this, you know, and, and, and slow acting, just like the Federalist Society's arguments against Roe were very slow acting. And the single greatest triumph, uh, this, 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 if this decision goes through, it will mark the single greatest triumph of and kind of, I don't even know what you would call a sort of intellectual ingathering. I mean, I was at the University of Chicago when the Federalist Society started, started at Chicago and at Yale. Um, and, you know, it was a bunch of nerdy people who, you know, uh, believed in uh, believed in originalism. Uh, Nino Scalia was their academic advisor. And, you know, that they, they were, they're very nice and very very serious and they started going down this path of of trying to make a space in elite opinion for the idea that the constitution meant what it said and said what it meant and that's a that started i don't know 44 year 43 years ago what a what a what a triumph what a what an almost unimaginable triumph 
every one of the people who who made this decision basically came out of the Federalist Society. So yes, it's as evil as the left thinks it is, except all they were doing was making arguments. All they do is make arguments and try to support them with evidence. And that's these appendices in this decision, in, the, in, the, in this uh, draft decision, are an example of, we're going to put our money where our mouth is. Here's where stare decisis was not sufficient unto the day the Supreme Court had to overturn it. Many of those cases, of course, being cases that liberals celebrate as being, you know, Brown, obviously being the Brown v. Board, obviously being the the ultimate one overturning Plessy versus Ferguson, which was 50, almost 60 years old by the time the court overturned it. Anyway, uh, so I think we're going to be talking a lot more about this is my guess. Uh, and we didn't even get to talk about the Ohio. Uh, here's something interesting. Had this happened last week, Noah, we would have had a test case for what Republicans were going to, what it was going to be like with Republicans because that Ohio Senate race, the whole last week would have centered on J.D. Vance and Josh Mandel, like, you know, like trying to talk about how they would go in and they would, you know, they would make sure that, you know, every woman had to be impregnated and then not get an abortion. Okay, well, Matt Continetti, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody go by the right, the 100-year war for American conservatism, uh, available everywhere, talked about everywhere. Go read his essay, What's Left of the Right. And for Noah, Abe, and Christine, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.